Coaches, what's going on? Uh, we get to here in Oklahoma, get to see all of our uh, players now starting tomorrow, Monday, at least from when I'm recording this, uh, it's tomorrow. So uh, we're all really excited, obviously, to get to see our kids, be around them. Uh, hopefully you guys in your other states, things are coming along well, uh, and you guys are getting to see your kids soon. Uh, if you are, or even if you're not, but you see it coming here in the future, uh, hopefully we've got some really good things for you over at Run the Power. Uh, we've got a lot of different videos, um, installs. We've got uh, talks with, obviously, tons of over 200 coaches here on the podcast. All of that can be found over on our, on our website, runthepower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Guardian Caps. Do you have linemen? Are their helmets getting scuffed up during inside run period? If so, there's a way to protect those shells and reduce the repetitive blows your guys are taking during the week. Guardian Caps reduces 20 to 33% of the impact, really focusing on those big guys in the trenches, like we coach. Worn by Clemson, Texas, Oklahoma, Washington, Virginia, 150 other colleges, and over 1,500 high schools across the country, including mine at Broken Arrow and Coach Walls in Ankeny. They are currently running an early bird promo. It's an unbelievable uh, price for them right now. 40 caps for $2,000 uh, with 10 of them for free, plus 10 free. You get 10 free ones as well. Check them out in our, free show, uh, in our show notes or go to guardiansports.com slash football. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by our guys over at Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up with their product, as you guys know, uh, and it's been a game changer for us, if you've seen us on Twitter or uh, have talked to us about this at all. We obviously especially love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes, as you guys know, power, counter, inside zone, pin and pull, uh, and formation, so we can save time and be more productive. That's the biggest part. Saves time on defenses, saves time on, on inputting offensive uh, formations, and then easy to draw the play out just play as a limited time offer for rtp listeners only get my just play pro for 120 dollars, which is an unbelievable 60 dollars off the normal list price uh, this offer has been extended uh, and won't last forever you can get this deal at justplaysolutions.com rtp the best playbook tool on the market at justplaysolutions.com rtp don't wait go do it today on this episode of rtp we talk with sanders davis Coach Davis is the offensive line coach at Rice University down in Houston, Texas. Listen as we talk with Coach Davis about his fast rise in the coaching profession and the Rice goal line run package and some gap schemes. You can follow Coach Davis on Twitter at SandersDavis225. Hope you guys enjoy. So I'm Sanders Davis. I'm the offensive line coach at, at Rice University. And uh, talking about my background, I guess I'm going to go back a little bit farther. I'm going to start really in high school because uh, I, I do have kind of a – it's kind of a different story in terms of my route into coaching, especially into college coaching. Um, so kind of going back to high school, uh, I went to high school at Catholic High School in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And while I was there, you know, we had an unbelievable – unbelievable coaching staff uh, headed by coach Dale Weiner, who is, you know, a storied coach in the state, uh, incredibly successful, but, you know, talking about him and that staff, it's unbelievable in retrospect, how, you know, they were so knowledgeable. They, they were so professional. I had so much respect and admiration for those guys. And, um, and I, and I, they mean the world to me. And so, you know, moving on, moving on into my junior year of high school, uh, we had a coaching change, and we went from, you know, having an O-line coach that we had all kind of grown up around uh, at the school, and we got a new guy who was, who was the wide receivers coach at the time, believe it or not, and, and he was this short, loud, demanding, you know, coach, and, but, you know, I admired him so much for his level of detail. Uh, his ability to teach, the preparation that he brought in, the game plans, and then the practice was unmatched. And, and you guys know him, and that's Gabe Fertitta. Um, and, and, you know, he really got the most out of me as a player and helped open up a lot of doors um, for my future. And so kind of moving out from there, um, I got to go to school and play ball at Dartmouth College. I played center, uh, and I loved it there. It was an awesome school. I was surrounded by people who I thought were pretty similar to me. 
Uh, and I took a lot of pride. I took a whole lot of pride in being able to, to excel, I guess, uh, at both, you know, academics and at football. And so that was something I was really proud of growing up. And, uh, you know, I go through college um, studying really hard to be a doctor. I end up getting an English degree along the way as well. And, and, and school and, and football there was, it was really, really difficult. And, uh, you know, it was definitely one of those situations where it was, you know, you had to, you had to have a little grit, you had to work through it. And, uh, but by the end of it, you know, fast forwarding to my, my senior year, uh, the end of my first semester, I realized that, you know, my plans to be a doctor were not really, you know, the track that I wanted to take. Um, I, I had really second guessed myself on that. I wasn't a whole lot of, didn't have a whole lot of passion for it. And I guess it just kind of faded away as time went on. But what I really, really wanted to do, uh, and I kind of always knew that I wanted to do it, but I wanted to be a teacher. And so um, kind of at the last minute, I, I kind of made this push to see if I could get into teaching uh, at my old high school, at my old alma mater. And so I called my old, old, old O-line coach. I called uh, Coach Fertitta and kind of laid it out for him. And, you know, at first he was kind of like, are you insane? Are you crazy? And then, you know, moving into the next part, he was really excited for me and really supportive and kind of told me, you know, let me see what I can figure out. Let me see what's going on because, you know, sometimes um, – you know, schools don't have those opportunities or those jobs. And so he ends up calling me back and tells me that there's going to be an English job coming in, uh, available. And, and I had, you know, all the, the classes and requirements to teach English. And so I jumped on it. Uh, he gave me all the stuff that I should do and fill out and kind of getting into my interview. And then at the end of that conversation, he kind of adds, he's like, oh, by the way, uh, you are going to coach, right? Like that's, that's in your, that's in your plan. And I was like, what? Like coaching, that is, that was kind of, I was off my radar, you know, like, and going back to my high school coaches, like those guys were so prepared, so smart. Like I, I didn't think I was qualified, you know, like those guys were so put together that I didn't know that, you know, I'd be able to stroll in and, and be able to, you you know, kind of get one of those jobs right off the bat. And you know, what I found out is that I didn't get one of those jobs right off the bat. I started off as the freshman O-line coach. And uh, so kind of started off, you know, at really the bottom uh, of, the, of the high school world. Um, and, in, and in hindsight, you know, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. You, learning how to teach a kid the very ground level of the position, really, you know, knowing what it's like to teach a kid who's never played the position or may have played it, but not been very sound. Um, you know, there's, there's an immaturity level that you have to kind of work through and, and be able to still effectively teach them. So I learned a lot that year about, about what's important in terms of coaching, what's important in terms of technique, how to really relate what I'm trying to get them to do physically with my words. And so I loved that experience and also got a lot of practice at, you know, learning how to run a practice, learning how to script an individual, learning how to script a team period. And so uh, really invaluable experience that I got, you know, really, really right out of uh, college. And so at the same time, while I'm helping um, with, with all the, you know, or while I'm running all these freshman practices, uh, I also am trying to help out the varsity team as much as I can. So I would like, as soon as freshman practice was over, you'd see me sprinting across the campus to the other side of campus to go to the varsity practice, just to, you know, watch a little bit, maybe coach a little bit, learn a little bit. And, and I was really trying to get as much as I could. And during another thing that would happen during that time was, uh, you know, Gabe and I would meet and he would take me through game plans. So he would like literally sit me down, give me a packet of scout cards and say, all right, draw all of these plays and give me the script. And I'd have to like sit there and draw out the play against that front, against that movement uh, for all those different cards. And, and, you know, it kind of accelerated my learning and he quizzed me and we'd watch film. He'd even give me feedback if you come and watch freshman practice on what I could be doing better. Um, so, you know, everything, I was really given everything I needed to be successful there, I guess is what I'm saying. I had a great mentor, had a lot of resources, I had time. Uh, and so I really got to kind of sink my teeth into the position and I loved it. And at the end of that year, I ended up getting promoted to the varsity online coach. So during that time, you know, getting geared up for that, you know, there's a whole lot of studying that happens, really studying everything that we're doing, studying what other people are doing with the same plays that we're running, you know, really trying to master as much as I can, get a good, you know, groundwork foundation for 
you know, coaching this position, because you guys know this too, um, based on hearing y'all do these, these podcasts, which is there's a whole lot of different ways to do things. And figuring out what works for you is, is sometimes the challenge. And the only way that you can really figure out what works for you is if you do do the, your due diligence to go out and see what your options are, to understand why people are doing it that way, to understand how what uh, somebody else is doing might marry up better with what you're doing you know, than what you had previously decided on. So, you know, really laying that good, that good foundation to understand why we do the things that we do and, and how I can grow there. But during, you know, this, this, this wide casting of the net to find information, uh, Coach Fertitta ends up giving me this DVD. And the DVD is a cool clinic DVD, and we have a whole library of them. And he says, you need to watch this. And I was like, all right. Let me check this out. And I look at it and it's uh, Gap Scheme Double Teams by Mike Bloomberg. And I have no clue who Mike Bloomberg is. I really don't know much about Stanford. Um, all I know is that, you know, he told me I need to watch this tape. And so, uh, you know, within the day I'm, I have the tape on and I'm watching it. And, uh, you know, it's high leg double teams on Gap Scheme. And I become obsessed with this technique. And, I, and you know, we were already teaching it. Uh, but I didn't really understand the background. And so, you know, kind of getting the background behind it, seeing Coach Bloomgren, how he taught, how his guys played, the schemes that they were doing at Stanford with, you know, two or three extra linemen in the game and a lineman lining up his fullback and all these different, you know, things. I, I was sold. Like, I loved it. I knew that I, it was worth my time to study what they were doing over there, to study Coach Bloomgren and to learn as much as I could. Because the truth is, is that, you know, after watching all this stuff, it was like, I want to be that guy. Like, I want to, I want to have my guys play like his. That's the, that's the goal. I want them to be that smart. I want them to be that physical. Uh, I want them to be masters of what they're doing. And so when I found kind of that influence, I really set out to, to get everything that I could from them. Um, and so, you know, over the next several years, uh, my responsibilities grew, you know, eventually graduating the to call in the run game at Catholic. And I say that because, you know, I was really, really happy there. I was really, really happy. And I wasn't looking to leave. I wasn't looking for the next step just because, you know, I wanted to take the next step. Uh, I was always kind of motivated by wanting to be a better line coach. So I wasn't, you know, in my mind, that was where I could get everything that I needed. And so I didn't really feel like I needed to, to step out. But to backtrack for a second, um, you know, during that time period, where I was, um, you know, kind of growing in the high school ranks, um, I take a trip uh, or I schedule a trip to California to go visit a friend. And uh, within like a day or two of going out there, I realized that I'm going to be really, really close to Stanford. And so I, sh I tweet at, uh, at Coach Bloom. I, I send him like a public tweet because I didn't really have another way to get in touch with him and uh, what he, and I basically say, Hey, look, I'm this high school coach from Louisiana. Uh, you know, I've studied you for a long time. I really want to come and visit. Would you have, would you have time? And uh, you know, within a, a few hours he responds and he says, yep, yeah, absolutely. Stop on by. And we kind of set up the, set up the day. And, and he, he takes an entire day with me, this high school coach from Louisiana. And he like, he sits down and we just talk ball all day. He opens up, you know, the film room for me asks me all these questions and you know I come with this giant notepad of questions and, and he takes the time to go through every everything with me and that's the kind of guy that he is you know he's he's he cares about the, the profession um, he's he's really personable and and so again just having him as kind of that mentor along the way was great and then again in 2017 I end up going to see him again at a clinic in Las Vegas so I was able to go take that and kind of ran into him again. And then in 2018, I get a, a call and uh, he basically asked me, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? And I'm like, I don't really know. You know, I, I want to be a great O-line coach, you know, maybe end up as an OC one day. I don't know. Like, that's not really in my plan right now. But uh, if it happens, great. And he says, well, hey, look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come interview uh, for a GA spot. And... Uh, you know, here's a, here's a window of time. Uh, and I wanted to, he's like, you, if you're coming to the clinic, we can meet at the clinic, but I, uh, I couldn't go. So, uh, at the convention, sorry. And so I either had to be with him before or after. I mean, I was, I was hell bent on making sure I saw him before the, the convention with hopes that he wouldn't be holding any interviews at that time. And, and 
I ended up getting the job. Uh, and then, you know, here we are in, in 2020 and I'm his O-line coach. So it's really kind of a crazy, it's kind of a crazy path to get what I got. But, uh, but it, it's kind of a neat story in terms of how it all played out. Timing certainly played a big part in it. No, it's, it's an unbelievable story. I, I would say that's probably um, every high school coach's uh, dream story almost. That's like a, a movie story that you go out and, and you, you find the coach you've been studying and then all of a sudden he contacts you and, and gives you the shot. And then, um, you know, from being a GA for such a short time compared to what, what some coaches are uh, in, that, in, that, um, in the Division One football and then make the, the jump up to be um, the guy and then – uh, you know, I would say another cool thing, and I'm in this kind of realm as well, but, you know, your head coach in high school is an offensive line guy, uh, and then now you're at the college level and your head coach is another offensive line guy. Um, and so that could obviously be have some extra weight on your position, but there's always somebody that understands and values a position at the very top, which I think makes it really nice. Yeah, I, I, I don't, there's no question about that. You know, I was thinking about this the other day of how, how strange it is that the two head coaches that I've worked for uh, are both O-line coaches. But it's also, it's, it's such a reason that I've been able to have success because I've been surrounded by really, really great mentors. You know, Gabe is, you guys have had him on here before and he's, he does clinics all the time. You know, he is a very, very smart, very competent O-line coach. So to have him as a mentor right out the gate uh, was awesome. And one of the things that he did that I think is, is really special in talking about that is that he was not afraid to kind of let go of the reins a little bit and let me kind of find my own direction at times. You know, uh, at, at first, you know, I would run the meetings and he would be in the meetings and, and I would get feedback and he would kind of, you know, throw coaching points in there as well. And, and that's awesome. And, you know, towards the end there, the joke was, it's like, oh, by the way, Gabe, we added this new call in, you know, so we went from this point of him kind of micromanaging me, which I needed, absolutely I needed, to this point where he really kind of let me do my thing, and, and I think because that happened, I was able to grow a, a lot at such a young age, and I don't think a lot of people are afforded that same luxury um, that I did, and then, you know, moving on uh, to Coach Bloomgren, I firmly believe he's the best offensive line coach in the country, personally, and so, um, you know, being able to work for him is also phenomenal. You know, going, going into work every day is, is my run the power. You know, every day I get to go in and talk ball with one of the, with one of the best in the business. And it's, it's, it's a whole lot of fun. So I've been really lucky in that regard. Coach, it interests me, you know, you have an, an English background and, uh, you know, you, you, you speak awesome. You, you're, you got, uh, you know, got me engaged on the other end here, but I'd written down a question, you know, being an English teacher and, you know, kind of understanding, you know, the, the placement of language and the, and the use of language, how important is kind of having that background, you know, and, and then dealing with your offensive line, you know, the importance of being direct and succinct with not only your teaching, but maybe your calls and, and how you do things. Can you talk a little bit about how you kind of use language to your advantage and how, you know, it's, it's helped you maybe that background be a, a better offensive line coach? Yeah, that's a really uh, that's a really cool question. I haven't been asked that question before. Um, and in thinking about it, you know, I think I think the the first place to start here is is teaching. You know, my background, my initial the initial thing I learned was how to teach. And so you know, you're saying kind of what you alluded to is being you know systematic in the way that you that you lay things out in language. And I and I think that's just a good teaching practice. You know, really being meticulous in the way that you're planning out the order of which you install things, the order of which you drill things, the order of, of practice, I think is really important for guys to understand exactly what they need to know. And so talking about language, you know, one of the things I think is really important for simplifying some of this stuff is being able to present a single idea in, a, in various ways. So if I say I want something done in a drill, or in a meeting and I get this look of confusion or I can tell that this kid is not completely certain about what I'm talking about. You know, being able to rephrase it in a way, uh, in a different way, repackage it a little bit, I think is something that's, that's really important in, in to be an effect, being an effective teacher, um, specifically in, in language. The other thing, you know, I mean, we all fight this battle, you know, is, is 
making sure that we're not giving them too much. So making sure that the information that we give them is compact in the way that we structure it, making sure that I'm not giving them a bunch of random thoughts, but I've kind of given them this logical progression of thoughts in the way that I teach them. And if I can do that, they're probably going to retain that information a lot better. If they understand conceptually what I'm trying to do, they're probably going to enter their uh, hold on to that information a lot better. So we are, we are really particular in the way that we present information to guys to make sure that it's, that it's packaged in a way that will, um, that will relate to kind of everything else and, and make it easy for them. Coach, I was, I was lucky enough to get to go down uh, to Rice a few years ago um, and we got to, to go down there and, and see them uh, during, I want to say it was like their sixth install, but it was goal line. You know, it was your, your Rice's goal line install um, for the day. And it was, it was really, really cool to see, you know, how and, – and I'm not sure that it's the same, but I'm assuming it is because I, I know it was kind of Bloomgren's, from what I heard, his kind of baby goal line. Um, uh, and it was cool for me to see how specific you guys were with different techniques and different um, stances even, different, like I said, techniques when it comes down to a goal line short yardage play and how you guys teach that and, and how it is – it's not just, okay, it's a goal line, getting a four-point stance and come off low. It's a lot of different technique and, and different drills for those situations. Uh, can you talk me just through some of, some of those tweaks, some of those changes, some of the things that you're looking for um, when it is, when you guys do go to that install and you guys are going into a goal line short yardage? Yeah, I'd love to. And, and I was the same way, you know, kind of watching it from afar. It's like, wow, this is this really cool, like – this, this thing that they're doing over there and, and now being here, you know, kind of seeing, you know, behind the curtain has is, is been really neat. That's definitely one of those things that I was enamored with uh, before I got to Rice. And so uh, I'll start by saying this. Coach Bloomgren is, is heavily invested in the mastery of, like, situational football. And so we know that, you know, the big, there's the big game of football, but within that there's all these smaller situations that kind of make up the whole, you know, third and short, third and long, short yardage, uh, goal line, red zone, you know, backed up, all these little things that, that Coach Bloomgren feels like if you can really master, and if you can master more of those than your opponent, then you're going to be successful. There's like a direct correlation between the mastery of situational football and success in the game. And so we really try to emphasize that with our guys to put the weight on, especially our linemen, to understand that this is its own little piece of the game. And not only is it its own little piece of the game, but it is like going to be the toughest, the nastiest, and, and pretty intricate part of this game that we believe that if we can win at this, that we're going to be really successful. And if you think about what it is, when you really talk about, you know, short yardage goal line, it's, it's one of two things. It's an opportunity to score or it's an opportunity to keep possession of the football. So when you think about how important this, this part of the game is, how important the situation is, it's pretty up there. And so we do spend a lot of time on it. Um, and we do try to be unique. We want to be unique in it um, to not only sell the belief that, you know, we're going to out-physical anybody that, that kind of lines up across from us, um, but it's also unique in the sense of game planning, right? There's a lot that goes into uh, to game planning against our short yardage goal line stuff. It's not something that, that you see often in the world today in this game anymore. So uh, we, we, we do take a whole, whole lot of pride in it. And, you know, honestly, it's, it's kind of the it's kind of the heartbeat of the offensive line in terms of what we expect for them. It, it really is just this really nasty physical part of the game. And so there are a couple things to stress, right? You always have to stress ball security, and that starts with the QC exchange, right? That's the, the number one issue that we have to work on early is that we do ask our guys, like you said, to be in different stances. And so we do have to work that snap a lot um, with the center because he's a lot lower than he normally is. The QB has to get down a lot lower than he normally is. Uh, the center is in a four-point stance, so there's a little bit of a difference there. His get-off is a little bit different. So the QC exchange aspect of, of short yardage goal line for us is, is really, really important. Um, and so some of the things that you asked, you know, about, about coaching points and, you know, some of the things before we even talk about the technique that go into our decision-making is, is really looking at kind of the, the coordinator's thumbprint that we're up against. So, you know, we, we might go to the line of scrimmage with two, three, four different plays at one time in these short yardage goal line situations. And 
And we do that so that we can be successful. Again, this is one of those scenarios where if we, uh, if we convert on this play, we're scoring points or we're continuing our drive. So it is, it is important and we do stress it there. And so we'll approach with several different plays and it can be, you know, the play that we run can be based on a whole bunch of different things on the week, like front, personnel, uh, the field boundary, coverage. I mean, the, the list goes on forever in terms of things that might dictate our play call for the week. But, but we do go to the line of scrimmage with a whole lot of answers. And so you think about how many bodies are put into a really tiny amount of space. We see a lot of variability as well. Um, so, you know, basically you've got 22 guys that are all competing for one yard of space. And so uh, with that variability comes the need to be able to get into the ideal run for that scenario. So that's why we go to the line with different uh, calls. But, you know, generic technique things that we're looking for here, we want to crowd the line of scrimmage. So we take all the space that we can to own the line of scrimmage without going over the ball. And one of the ways that we accomplish that is we actually turn our hands sideways like we're in a sprinter stance. Oh, wow. So my, my thumbs are actually going to be pointed out towards the defenders, hmm. and that's going to let me crowd the line more. And the other thing that's going to do is it's going to bend my elbows in tighter. So when I'm in that really low crouching stance that's hard to support my weight in, I'll get a little bit of extra stability from those elbows being in tighter. So that's one of those coaching points that, you know, can kind of go unnoticed, but really squeezing those elbows in tight. That helps, of course, with things like punch, but it also helps you support your weight. Um, a lot of guys, especially younger guys, have, have finger strength issues in those stances. So just trying to get them to find that right, that right balance for them. Some guys might have to flatten their hands out completely. So that's something that you have to work through. Uh, reducing your splits. You know, we reduce our splits. We reduce them enough to own, you know, basically all the space and, and to not have a long way to go to attack gaps. But we also don't want to reduce it so much that, that guys off the edge become a threat. So, um, again, kind of that happy medium there. I mean, there's a drastic reduction in our split. But, again, we are conscientious. We don't want them, like, foot to foot. That can be too far. Um, so that's uh, kind of just approaching the line of scrimmage. Now, talking about my feet. <clears throat> so my hands are set. My hands are on the line of scrimmage. They're sideways. I'm really going to bring my feet underneath my hips. And then as I do that, I'm going to load my weight back into my hips. But I want my toes are in the ground. So think about like uh, old school six-point explosion, you know, mm -hmm. kind of like how we load up before we, we, we you know, fire out in six-point explosion. It's really similar to that uh, in terms of that load that we want back in our hips. So I want to, I want to push my feet are underneath me enough, like in, like in a sprinter's block. My feet are underneath me enough so that when I load my weight back, I'm now loaded like a spring. What you see with these guys, because they're so compact, their elbows are tight, their hands are crowding the line, if you pick your, arm, your hands up, your body should go forward. So, you're so there's so much like force built up in your body that as soon as you pick your hands up and give your body the opportunity to get rid of that force, it's going to fire out. So, we naturally are firing out really low and really hard. So, um, really important that we load back like a spring. And so... We don't actually take steps initially. So we, we talk about uncoiling. So again, talking about that, that, those hips, we don't, we're not like telling our guys to take a step on the stack. We're actually asking them much like a D lineman to completely uncoil that hip and completely extend their hip uh, before we, we start moving. Because again, we're only fighting for about a yard of space here, maybe less. So I don't need that two, three, four yard drive off the ball. I need to make sure I can displace him right now one yard to give myself the best chance to be successful. And of course, after we extend, we're doing, you know, we're running our, we're grinding our feet. Uh, sometimes we're crawling, you know, I mean, it is whatever it takes to get movement on those D linemen. I mean, you can watch tape of us. I mean, we got guys crawling on the field. You got guys that are, that are you know, doing everything that they can to help this play be successful. And then the last thing that there really is to talk about is, you know, you really don't get time and double teams on these things, but we do try to, you know, if we can, uh, to engage um, and, and kind of create a double team before we have to get off to backers. But again, they're typically so compressed that we don't have that amount of time. Um, but if, for instance, we're running uh, like power out of, out of our short yardage goal line and we're working to that backside linebacker, you know, sometimes it's, it's not easy for that play side guard to get his hands on that backside linebacker. So, I mean, it might just be, hey, man, like, 
just launch yourself at the end and like a guy might be crawling and he's going to launch himself just to just to get the linebacker off his track just to take him from 100 down to about you know 60 and if we can do that we really feel that we'll be successful so um you know it really is a grimy part of the game and again like if you look at our stats from this past year we were really really successful at our short yardage goal line runs uh, and again, I think that goes in the mentality of our guys. Like it's very much a, a us versus you. I want this one single yard more than you do. So it's a it's a it's a violent, you know, uh, part of the game. That a lot more of it, a lot more goes into it than you probably think. That's exactly right. I, I think that's why I loved it so much. I mean, just listening to you talk about it gets me uh, excited to think how how you know minute all the little details are that you guys have figured out and and put into practice for, you know, this huge situation. It's one yard, but it's a gigantic situation. Something that when I was in college, um, we didn't hardly take, uh, you know, 30 minutes to talk about goal line short yardage. Uh, we were, yeah. hey, get in a four-point stance if you need to and get a yard. I mean, that was that was about the the amount of, of talk that we had about short yardage goal line. And, and you guys have got, um, a, like I said, their own separate technique with the uncoiling of your hips. Um, I remember when you guys were running like the the fullback double lead, um, or maybe it was just the fullback lead, and and you had linemen like grabbing for linebackers' feet, and just because they touched their feet, that kind of got your fullback or your tailback in. It was just so cool to see all the little little things that I would have never thought of as an offensive line coach. Uh, that has helped me a ton just to hear you guys talk over goal line. Yeah, it's cool. It's it's a whatever it takes mentality, and yeah, you do see the defenders. You know, try to launch over the pile, and we love that. We invite that. Like, it's a lot of fun when people do that. Just like in pass protection, you know, oh linemen love it when defenders jump in pass protection. It's an opportunity <laughs> right. to, to be really physical. So, coach, what are what are some of the plays you guys run? Then, I mean, you, you mentioned power. I know I, I'd listened to, to Coach Callahan a long time ago and talk about you know the the blast play. You know, is that something same technique you guys are using with your you know your Q wedge, your your fullback dive. How big is your guys' package kind of in, you know, your goal line where you guys are going to get in your four-point stances and, and be able to do things? You guys run a G play out of it, you know, something a little off tackle, or is it all just kind of, you know, A gap, maybe B gap stuff? Yeah, um, a, lot of it, a lot of it is uh, in terms of plays, it's hard to say because we do tailor it so specific to the defense. So we might, you know, we might run the dive play or we might run power. You know, that one might carry over for most of our games. But typically, we do have a couple designer plays for that defense, um, you know, that I wouldn't say are typically part of our normal playbook. So not that we don't, we don't run them. They're, we just don't run them frequently. And so uh, it really is just tailored to, to what we're seeing for that particular game. How much time do you guys spend with the quarterbacks or with the tailbacks for those goal line situations? Because, um, you know, like you've said, and, and like I saw at practice, you guys can go up the line and, and have three different run plays. And one might be, you know, that you need to shift in the wing or the, or the ogre back in so he can kick a guy out before you run power. It could be, I mean, it can be so many different, three different, like I said, you said three different run plays, you know, each, each time you're, you're going in, in a short yardage goal line, how much time do you guys spend with the whole group or with the quarterbacks, or is that just something they get done in their own meetings? How does all that work? Yeah, so we actually each week we'll install short yardage goal line with everybody but the receivers. So we'll install it as a group, um, and that, again, kind of goes into the mentality of it, which, you know, we really ask guys to kind of have the mentality of, of I got my job or I've got my guy, right? And the running back has to trust – that the linemen are going to block the right people and, you know, this tiny amount of space where it looks like there's a whole lot of stuff going on. Um, you know, the linemen, we have to trust the running back to hit the right gap, you know, because if you hit the A gap on some of these plays and not the B gap, the play's not going to work, right? So they have to really, really trust and, and, and understand the blocking scheme to know where those gaps are going to open up in certain scenarios. So we do coach them all together uh, when we install it each week. And then, um, and then an individual as an O-line, we, we practice those techniques. You know, we'll do them on air, we'll do them on the sled and things like that. Um, and, and the backs will also, in their individual time, they, they touch on that. And we have, uh, 
QC exchange as well. So that day that we put in uh, short yardage goal line, it's also kind of got a tailored QC exchange. So the running backs are also with them and they're kind of practicing their short yardage goal line meshes as well. So there's a lot of detail. And again, you know, we, we, we want to spend a lot of time on it because it is one of those things where if you invest the time in it, the, the overall impact of it is huge. You know, whereas in other places you could spend a whole lot of time and not, not have a ton of impact. So we want to get a lot of bang for our buck. Coach, I think last time I was there, I noticed uh, you guys did a lot with a mic point um, with your different run schemes. And maybe that's changed or maybe I'm wrong. But if that is the case, uh, does that get hairy or, or how do you try to keep those rules concise with your centers? Because uh, I would think that when you get in those goal line packages, you, you may have an idea how a defense is going to line up, but it could just be, you know, flavor of the month for them. I, I don't. I, I don't know a ton about your conference, but just from when I was in in that conference a long time ago, there wasn't many teams lining up in 22 or 32 personnel. And so I'm assuming each week you're, you kind of have to be ready for anything. How do you, how do you make that work uh, with your center or whoever's calling the mic point might be your quarterback? Yeah. So um, you're, you are right. Like I said earlier, you know, one of the reasons we love this stuff so much is because it is a huge curveball for, defensive coordinators and you know this is in a world where you know the spread offense is is kind of most prevalent you don't really see guys reducing down into you know 23 32 and all those types of personnel sets so it's a great way to introduce a lot of stress to a defense in a really critical time so you know that's a that's an edge that we have from the get-go um the other the other you know things that we're talking about here is the mic point you know, it really depends on the play. I think we do a great job of, of kind of figuring out all the varied looks. And we do go through and, and we watch all the, all the short yardage goal line reps that that team has gone against out of those personnel groups for, you know, a couple years just to know that we've got the, the, the heartbeat of what they're trying to do and um, kind of figure out, you know, who's responsible for who man-wise. And, um, again, going, going into uh, – you know, going to the line of scrimmage with a couple of different plays, that also helps kind of streamline what they have to worry about. So if we get this particular look where things are really chaotic, we might just default to one particular play. But if it's this specific look that we saw and that we want to attack, then we're going to run that certain play, right? So we do, we do keep it structured enough to where they don't have to worry about every single person in every single look, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, of course. And then, so with a play, with a play with three plays, is that something that you guys in the huddle are, are calling all three plays? I mean, it's power, alert, counter, kill, uh, ISO, something like that? Yes, yeah, it certainly could be. It certainly could be. Um, sometimes just the QB knows it. Sometimes he, uh, sometimes he says it in the huddle. Again, it's, it's so tailored to like the week, the, the flavor of the week kind of deal. Sure. I mean, it, it's very – it's very dependent on, on what we're looking for um, from the defense. Is that something that you have to work in individual or in your meetings with your guys? Because um, it, it was something that we kind of tried a little bit at our high school, but we just couldn't – we couldn't hardly get our – and we didn't do it enough, but we couldn't get hardly our linemen to remember what the second play was. And I just – we just ended up having our, our smart guy, you know, call out what the second play was to everybody. So it kind of beat, you know, defeated the purpose a little bit, or maybe I was just too scared to, to let them roll with it and, and see if they remembered it. But is that something you guys have to work or you guys got really smart kids that eventually they do it enough that it, it's, it's fairly simple for them? Yeah, I would say the latter of those two scenarios, you know, I mean, it is, it is a part of our base offense too. It's not like we just do this for short yardage goal line. I mean, we can, on day one, we could go to the line of scrimmage and we'll have a play kill for another play or a three level play kill. Um, so it's not, it's not something that we really have to practice because it's so inherent in what we do. And you're right. Like as guys start to do it at first, uh, you know, sometimes you can, they're kind of, you see the confusion or you'll see a mask. And as they spend time in it, they, they find their own ways, you know, to remember it. And, and it, there are some shortcuts to it based on how we call plays. And so once they learn those and have kind of mastered the terminology, it really does become pretty easy for them. So uh, with high school guys, you know, I kind of fought that same, that same issue back in the day. And, you know, what we ended up doing is we would have just like 
co like combo plays. So like the one play would be the two different options. And that was a way for us to help kind of um, synthesize the information for those younger guys. So, so for instance, um, if we were running power, one back power to an odd front team, well, if the, that overhang linebacker is, is on to the same side as the tight end, well, then we'll run counter back the other way. But if the opposite backer is on, well, then we'll run power to the tight end, right? So you kind of give them those checklists to be looking for, and that might be a way to kind of condense the information that they have to go to the line of scrimmage with. Um, that was the way that we made it work at Catholic. Perfect. Love it. Coach, uh, I want to ask you a little bit about, you know, the, the position identity that you kind of have, you know, at Rice. I, I know you'd said before, you, you, when you first watched, you know, Coach Bloomgren and, and you watched the Stanford O-line play, you know, back in the day and, and they're smashing people and you said, you know, offensive lines have to play like that. You know, how have you kind of built that into, you know, obviously the guys you recruit and then the identity for those guys that, that kind of set the tone for, you know, that, that physicality you guys do play with? Yeah, so one of the things that's really cool about, about coaching um, at Rice is that not a, like we get a lot of, a lot of, you know, we steer the ship in terms of directing the recruiting at our position group. I know it's not always that way. Uh, and so in that, you know, you do get to, uh, you really get to tailor the type of guys that you want to bring in. And so if you make that something that is, that is a must for you, if you say that, you know, my guys have got to be tough, and they've got to be nasty football players, well, then you can recruit tough, nasty football players. You know, if, if, if there's something else that you're looking for, um, then you can recruit that type of guy. So, you know, moving into it before a guy even steps on campus, if he doesn't check that box for us, we're probably not pursuing him to come play for us. And so, you know, that, that inherently takes um, a, a large part of the battle away. You know, the other things that, that we talk about, and when you talk about instilling toughness in a, in a player, in a, in a young guy, it's not always, it not only, it doesn't have to necessarily just be physical toughness either. It doesn't have to be his willingness to, to play really hard, right? There can be adversity. It could be, you know, that the, the toughness that it takes to learn a skill over a really, really long period of time. And one of the things you see with guys the type of guys that we recruit is that, you know, they're not necessarily always experiencing a lot of failure. They're like, they're high achievers. They're, they're incredibly intelligent. They've, they've shown that they're incredibly talented on the field. And so, you know, finding those little um, opportunities for them to grow often involve finding opportunities for them to fail. So you have to, as a coach, challenge them enough to make sure that they're failing so that they can grow from that. And so that is also a, a really important part of kind of, growing that identity with our with our crew I was I think probably the easy question is is to ask um you know how is it going from uh some high school kids that you don't necessarily get to pick and then going to a, a place like Rice that has all of these super intelligent kids that are going to be on your squad but uh it, it may not I'm sure it is a little bit of a jump but from where you were at at high school it, it seems like you guys were churning out a, a lot of very high level uh, a lot of high classroom level kids. So uh, I'm sure even in high school, you had a lot of smart offense alignment as well, uh, similar to, to what you're seeing over at Rice. What do you try to do with, with that type of a kid, a kid that is very intelligent? What are some of those skill sets when you have some kids like that, that you can do a little bit more with as a position coach? Yeah, to me, that is when the game becomes fun. Like, that's when the game really, really becomes fun is when you have guys that can understand the game the way that you want them to uh, and that you can give them a set of tools to use and then they can go off and use those things. You know, I was, I was thinking the other day about uh, one of my last years at, at Catholic and, uh, you know, we were with a center that we had at the time was really approaching a state of mastery of the game. And, you know, we could go into a plan and we would see all kinds of bizarre fronts that, that defenses would dream up. And that kid would come up to the line of scrimmage and he would dictate where everybody's going. And then by the time the ball snapped, everybody was in the right place and it was a great run. Like, to me, that's when it becomes really, really fun when you can kind of turn over the keys to those guys. And we want, you know, when we train these guys, we want, to, we want them to become masters. And so we might teach them day one, here's the way that we want to do it. And as they learn more and as they become more proficient, we might say, okay, well, here's another way to do it. Um, because you've mastered the other, you know, the first technique, the first way that you, you know, that we want you to do it. 
And so as these guys kind of, you know, with experience create this toolbox, what you'll see is you'll see guys that, that are making those mid-game adjustments that might take one technique at the, at the start of a drive and change it to a different technique because of the way the D lineman's playing or the way that the linebackers are flowing. And to me, once those guys have really mastered that part of the game, that's when it becomes a whole lot of fun. And I do think that that becomes a little bit more uh, available when you do, you know, coach these, these really intelligent players like the guys that we have. One thing that we've talked with, with Coach Fertitta about, and he's, he's really high on, and, and you've talked about it too, is having that high leg gap double team. And then he even went to saying that when you were at, at that, uh, when you were with him, you guys turned that into having very similar backside zone doubles as, as your front side gap doubles. And he even got into, I think, I believe you guys got into more um, horizontal movement on your double teams on both of those as opposed to the big vertical movement um, with those double teams like, like we try to do. Uh, what, are your, what are some of those major coaching points that you're giving on those double teams? How are you coaching through that horizontal uh, movement, if that's how you guys still do it uh, up at Rice? Because it's something really, really interesting to me. Um, we've, I've always been vertical double. I've, I've always liked that, and we've gotten some pretty good movement. But even – going back and watching when we're really, really good at certain plays, a lot of times, even though we're trying to get vertical, the big plays happen when we get very horizontal with our double teams. But it always scares me, obviously, to go horizontal because I like the attitude or the thought process maybe of being vertical with our double teams. What are, what are some of your coaching points or what are some of your thought processes as you go through some of those uh, horizontal movement double teams? Well, you are, uh, you're absolutely right. We still do uh, use this double team. And this one is, uh, you know, it's near and dear to me. I don't think I'd be where I am right now if it weren't for this double team, which is kind of goofy to say, but it really is true. Uh, so talking about the double team that we run uh, on the front side of our gap team plays, you know, just talking about some of the philosophy behind, like, why we do what we do. And, you know, one thing, and I've heard people talk about this before is, you know, we want the force to work in the same direction. When the, when the guy is, when the tackle works in a high leg, he's, he's putting lateral force through the defender. Uh, when the postman, the inside man in that double team kind of jab crotches and, and feels that he can torque it and that produces more um, lateral force. And so that's certainly one, you know, great aspect of why we want to do that double team because force is added. Uh, but other things that, you know, that kind of play into it is a D lineman. And if you think about where we're trying to hit the D lineman, we're trying to hit that D lineman in his hip. And so when a D lineman is engaged, if you think about what he's doing, he's really putting as much force as he can vertically through the guard, right? When, when the guard, the inside man of that double team does his jab crotch, he's putting as much force as he can vertically through the guard. And so as he does that, that makes him incredibly vulnerable to pretty much any and all lateral force that's going to go through his body. And so we do want to knock him laterally because there's really nothing that he can do to resist that force, provided that the guard has done a great job of making sure he can't flip his hips. And so as we, um, as we feed that guy across from hitting his, his hip, there's, there's really nothing that he, can, that he can hope to do at that point. Um, and yes, it does. It does look similar to inside zone. Um, it looks similar to the backside of inside zone. So we are, we're similar in the fact that our tackle is going to take lateral footwork um, to try and overlap the guard on the backside of inside zone. So if you do have some, some aspect of, of kind of giving that three technique the same look, but accomplishing different things. So it does help keep him honest. Uh, a couple other things that are also important is it allows us to stay square, right? So one of the big issues is when that backside linebacker flows over the top of the double team. Uh, if your tackle is not square, sometimes it can be hard to kind of get out of burying yourself into the three technique and turn back out into that linebacker. So we just find that it's easier um, if we're in that high leg and square of the line of scrimmage to turn out on a backer flowing over the top. And then another thing, and this one, I think, was really apt for me in high school. This was really appropriate. was the fact that you can generate a lot of movement with smaller guys. So, like, tight ends excel at this technique because, you know, I mean, they're, when they hit a, a giant D end, you know, they're not always producing a lot of movement. But, again, like I said, when all your force is going vertical, 
uh, from the D lineman and then you introduce some lateral disruption, he's going to move. And so it's something that smaller guys, and, and again, in high school, you know, you probably, you might have a smaller tackle um, or a smaller guard. And so it's a technique that helps you kind of get over that, uh, that size differential that you're worried about. Uh, <clears throat> talking about, you know, individual parts of the technique. So starting with the inside man is the postman. And, and again, this is like, this is, in my opinion, it's one of the hardest blocks to teach um, because it requires so much discipline. It requires so much discipline with our feet, requires so much discipline with eyes, all while creating enough movement to keep a 350 pound human on the line of scrimmage, right? So it's one of those things that takes a lot of reps. Um, you know, if you step too far this way, then that's an issue. If you step under yourself, that's an issue. So there's a whole lot of training that has to go into that footwork pattern and that technique. So we do spend a lot of time on that. And when you talk about the postman, what is his job? What is really his job? What's he trying to accomplish? Because, you know, he's not just trying to create a double team, but he does have a job within that double team. And, and so the first thing that he's got to do is make sure that he prevents any and all penetration uh, on the, at the point of attack. So, you know, penetration at the point of attack on power kills power. It, mm -hmm. the, play, the play can't work. And so he's got to know that, like, the whole play starts with him executing his block the right way. Um, he has to also prevent any compression. So he can't get compressed down towards the ball either. Because if he gets compressed by the three technique, now my tackle is never going to be able to get a good fit. And so what they've effectively done is bought two for one. The same thing happens if, they flip, if they're able to flip their hips in the gap. They can effectively buy two for one. So it's, uh, it's really important that as he engages, he's not letting himself get compressed down the line of scrimmage. That also helps with things like timing from the tackle. It helps the tackle get the best uh, target that he can possibly uh, try to get. So there's a whole lot of things that's, that play into him being able to make sure that we can at least keep that man where he's at. And then his last job is to expose the defender's ribs or and his hip. So really expose, stand him up, expose the target for that tackle uh, to really allow the tackle to do his job with, with intense aggression. So that's kind of – that's why we do what we do or what we expect that guy to do. So um, the postman, is first step – and I've tried this a whole lot of different ways with his first step. You know, the first way I taught it was uh, like a settle step or a timing step, just pick mm -hmm. it up, put it down. Uh, and then your second step will be vertical. And I felt that the, the pick it up, put it down step is like almost impossible. Like <laughs> kids, kids will always fall step or they'll step laterally or they'll, it's just going to be really inconsistent. So I got off of that one pretty quick. Uh, and I, tr and I traded it for like a mini vertical step. So like just a two inch vertical step with that inside foot, uh, just because you know, the natural inclination, they want to move forward. So my thought was, well, if I can get him to step forward two inches instead of back two inches, we're probably going to be okay. So, you know, not being so hard-headed is to, you know, I got, you got to know when to adjust. You got to realize when your kids can't do something, no matter how many times you drill it. And so that was kind of our adjustment there. Uh, and then the way we do it at Rice, which is, uh, which is honestly probably the best way to do it, is also difficult. We take a four-inch lateral step with that guard. So he's taking a little bit of a lateral uh, step. To, you know, it helps a lot with movement. It helps see movement. It helps get his eyes in his gap. So there's a lot of positives there, but it is, again, if you step too far, now you're too loose on the three technique. So your fit might, might not be great. So there's a lot of coaching that goes into that. And the last way is near leg, near shoulder. So there are special cases where we might actually step as, on the same side as the defender. Uh, and we would use that if he's like a really heavy penetrator and I need to get, um, and I need to get contact on him right now. Or maybe his ball get off is just way better than mine, so I'm going to try and initiate contact right now. And that might prevent us from getting any penetration. So uh, that's, that's another thing that we might throw in there. What are you, what are you, what are you teaching him with, with his hand? Because to me it's like that's where I always – normally we're vertical double, so we're really big, heavy shoulder puncture, uh, and our hand is get your hand wherever you have to, and, and it's not that big of a deal for us. Because if the linebacker goes over the top, you turn out into him, and it's not that big of a deal. But with wanting him to really be able to throw that guy across, maybe maybe that's not the coaching point, but be able to help torque that guy across when he does get uh, hit in the hip. What are you talking about with that with that outside hand of that post guy? 
Yeah, so that is definitely the age-old question, right? Like, are we gonna are we gonna use the the shoulder and the flipper? Are we gonna use the hand? What are we doing here? And right. the answer, the short answer is both. You know, it depends. Um, but in terms of uh, day one install, we're always going to use that shoulder first. So we're going to use the shoulder when we engage. We're going to try and get my shoulder underneath his shoulder. And so one of the things that I think that are common errors, I guess I'd say, with, with young linemen is when you tell them that you want them to use the flipper, you want them to get their shoulder underneath and lift their arm up, they think that it's okay to just hit with their forearm. So they never really get their shoulder underneath the defender and then by virtue of like, like engaging the hip, you stand up the defender, right? When you get your shoulder all the way underneath him. Mm-hmm. For those younger guys that only take that step and just throw a forearm up, they're not going to generate nearly as much power. So we really do stress getting that shoulder all the way underneath that three technique before we lift. And it's not just throwing a forearm vertically. Um, so again, he wants to get the shoulder all the way underneath him. And he's going to be like a jack in the box. Like as he engages his hip, uh, if you like coaching in the weight room, you can tell them it's a power clean. You know, I always like to use the weight room with high school guys and opportunity to coach O-line play. I mean, there's a lot of good carry over there. So I would say a power clean um, back in the day. And, um, but you can also use the hand if guys are more comfortable with that. I would advise with younger O-linemen to use the shoulder um, and, and lift through the shoulder because the labrum is so, it's such a, like a, it's a, just a questionable part of a young guy's body. It can, they, they tear all the time. There's not a whole lot of uh, strength or support in the shoulder. So when you do use that hand, really got to, you know, you, you find guys, this actually happened to me in high school, but like I did that block and my, my shoulder and my elbow were out away from my body and it pulled my whole arm backwards. And so, you know, with younger guys, it works to use that shoulder. They have a lot more strength. They have a lot more um, confidence with that technique. Love it. Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's where we found the most, uh, most benefit for us w- with being able to, to, to generate power. Just to me, it was just because, you know, and, and it's way simplistic, but our shoulders at least kind of attached to our body. Uh, and so being able to hit him with that thing that's attached as opposed to having your arm out a little bit, it just seemed like our guys had a little bit more um, force and, and could stop that penetration uh, as opposed to having their hand or even like you said that was the biggest thing that that I fell into with with the flipper technique was guys wanted to is like get all the lift with just their forearm and and they were getting really high really quick with their upper body and then using all forearm and to me it was just like they had no power with that uh, with hitting that forearm first which is the way I had always heard it coached for a long time but never really worked for me anyways. Yeah, and another thing that's really important for both guys really in this double team is is their hip level should really not change from their stance, like really making sure that they're low enough um, to make sure that their hips are still like where they were loaded uh, pre-snap. And, you know, we, we always talk about pad level, and sometimes that can be confusing, you know, because if I bend 90 degrees at my waist, my pads are low, you know. So we really stress like hip level, really sinking hips underneath blocks. And if I sink my hips, then I'm, you know, by virtue also sinking my love it well, well coach uh coming up on an hour now but but the thing i always like to ask every every guy before we let them go is when you're watching another team's offensive line what's some things they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach um i think there, you know I, there's always you know the 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 toughness and the, and the, and the physical nature and but I think two of the things that really impressed me uh, in terms of like when I, when I evaluate how well a guy's been coached, the first thing I would say is how well can he handle movement? Uh, you know, to me, if, you, if you've shown that you can master movement on film, there are a lot of reps that you've poured into that. There's a whole lot of preparation that you've poured into that and your ability to adjust on the fly. I mean, there's a lot of practice that goes into that, a lot of detailed practice. So I think ability to handle movement is one thing. And then the other thing I think is important is kind of what we just talked about is the ability to adjust. And I think it's really impressive when a, when a unit can go sit on the sideline and make an adjustment in between drives instantly. I think it's more impressive when guys figure it out on their own and can make those adjustments mid-drive. I think that's, again, that's when the game gets really special. That's when you're playing at a really high level. Um, so I think those are probably my two that, that really kind of set people apart for me. 
Coach Ben, your, your story is unbelievable. And, uh, you know, we're excited to be uh, Rice fans and we appreciate you coming on for, for an hour. And again, we'd, we'd love to get down to Houston again and, and come see you guys once uh, all this stuff clears up. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime you guys want to come, we, we're completely open to visitors. So anytime you want to come, let me know and, and we'll be an absolute open door for anything you need. Awesome. We'll appreciate it. And, and I'll definitely be down there. I used to live there for four years. So um, oh, nice. I haven't made it. I was at the, uh, at the rival school at Houston, but, um, oh. but, uh, so, but I haven't got to take my kids back there yet. It's been five years or so. So I'm um, looking forward to getting to come down there again, like I did a few years ago, but come and visit you guys. And, and uh, um, you know, like I said, it was, it was awesome the first time and, and looking forward to coming and, and seeing you guys once everything kind of gets cleared up, maybe, maybe next off season when everyone's got a little bit of time. Yeah, absolutely. That'll be great. And uh, again, but anything you guys need, I've, you know, kind of stumbled upon some, a lot of free time. So if y'all want to, <laughs> okay. if y'all want to talk about anything or, you know, we can, you and I can get together and watch some film or whatever y'all need. I mean, love to, love to be involved. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it'll allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.